Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job, and you can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know and Stay Up to Date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll wind up our uh, visit about the Second Amendment and gun control. And if time permits, we'll get into the differences between our justices on the Supreme Court. We'll visit with Andy Joppa. He is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be with us as well. He's written a couple of great murder mysteries, and uh, we'll be talking about that as well. It is June the 23rd, and on this day in 1992, Mafia boss John Gotti, who was nicknamed the Teflon Don after escaping unscathed from several trials during the 1980s, was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty on 14 counts of conspiracy to commit murder and racketeering. Moments after his sentence was read in a federal courthouse in Brooklyn, hundreds of Gotti supporters stormed the building and overturned and smashed cars before being forced back by police reinforcements. He was street smart. He was born and educated in the mean streets of New York City, became head of the powerful Gambino family after uh, Paul Castellano was murdered outside a steakhouse in Manhattan in December 1985. The gang... Uh, assassination the first in three decades in New York was organized by Gotti and his colleague Sammy the Bull Gravano. The Gambino family was known for its illegal narcotics operations, gambling activities, and car theft. During the next five years, he rapidly expanded his criminal empire, and his family grew into the nation's most powerful mafia family. Despite widespread publicity of his criminal activities, Gotti managed to avoid conviction several times, usually through witness intimidation and tampering. In 1990, however, he was indicted for conspiracy to commit murder in the death of Paul Castellano, and Gravano agreed to testify against him in a federal district court in exchange for a reduced prison sentence. On April 2, 1992, he was found guilty in all counts and on July the 23rd was sentenced to multiple life terms without the possibility of parole. While still in prison, he died of throat cancer on June the 10th, 2002. John Gotti, the Teflon Don. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis signed HB5, SB1108, and HB233 that will collectively strengthen civics instructions and civics literacy education in Florida's kindergarten through post-secondary public schools. This all happened yesterday. He said, I'm proud to sign three bills today that prioritize civics education in our schools. The sad reality is that only two in five Americans can correctly name the three branches of government, and more than a third of Americans can't name any of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. It's abundantly clear that we need to do as much better job of educating our students in civics to prepare them for the rest of their lives. My thanks to Representative Zika, Representative Rizzo, Representative Roach, Senator Ray Rodriguez, Senator Anna Maria Rodriguez, and Senator Diaz for sponsoring this legislation that will ensure that our students get an incredible civics education. I also want to thank our President Simpson and Speaker Sprouls for making this an important legislative priority. So here's what they do. House Bill 5 requires that the Florida Department of Education create an integrated K-12 civic education program that includes an understanding of citizens' rights, and responsibilities under the Constitution and Bill of Rights. It further expands required instruction in high school to learn a comparative discussion of political ideologies that conflict with the principles of freedom and democracy essential to the founding principles of the United States, such as communism and totalitarianism. This bill also provides a library of portraits in patriotism based on personal stories of diverse individuals who demonstrate civic-minded qualities, including those that have moved to this country from being persecuted in nations like Cuba and Venezuela. So interesting. Here's the next bill, 1108. 
of Senate Bill 1108 requires state college and state university students to take both a civics literacy course and a civics literacy assessment at a, at a graduation requirement, uh, bridging civics education between our high schools and post-secondary institutions. The bill further requires high school students to take a civics literacy assessment that has no high-stakes consequences. If a high school student passes the test, the student is exempted from post-secondary test requirement. The bill also expands the charter development curriculum for high school seniors and uh, juniors to include instruction on how to register to vote. And then the final bill, 233, requires state colleges and universities to conduct annual assessments of the viewpoint diversity and intellectual freedom at their institutions to ensure that Florida's post-secondary students will be shown diverse ideas and opinions, including those they may disagree with or, or find uncomfortable. So congratulations again, working to improve the uh, public education here in the state of Florida. I think this is a big uh, positive move forward. Uh, Senate uh, Republicans Tuesday blocked sweeping legislation on edu- election and campaign finance reforms. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that Democrats say is crucial to ensuring voting rights and saving democracy, but the GOP blasted as a partisan power grab. The For the People Act. You notice how benign these uh, titles of bills are. For the People Act. How nefarious. Anyhow, needed 60 votes to clear the procedural vote in the Senate on Tuesday, but Republicans filibustered and killed the legislation for advancing the debate. No Republicans, not even Mitt Romney, joined with the 50 Democrats on the motion to proceed. Senate Minority uh, Leader Mitch McConnell said Republicans won't stand for Democrats' attempt to impose new voting standards on states that would rig elections in their favor. He called the substance of the nearly 900-page bill rotten to the core. Good for you, Mitch. Uh, Republicans took issue with imposing federal standards on state elections that they said would weaken state ID requirements. They also oppose uh, starting a new public financing system for congressional candidates and elections, politicizing the Federal Elections Commission that enforced campaign finance laws. Even GOP moderate Senator Lisa McCurski of Alaska said she couldn't support the partisan federal takeover of the election system. In a floor speech, she said she'd back elements of the bill and will co-sponsor a separate John Lewis voting rights bill, but can't back Democrats' one-size-fits-all reforms. Even Lisa Murkowski, good for you, Lisa. Democrats for the White House on, the, on their side framed the legislation as an urgent, I said urgent priority to save democracy in the face of GOP efforts to st- state legislatures around the country to pass voter suppression laws in the wake of former President Trump's t- 2020 election loss and unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud. Well, I think they are getting pretty well substantiated at this point through these forensic audits, but that's another story. <clears throat> democracy is in peril here. In America, President Biden's White House said in the statement, he said, the right to vote, a sacred right in this country, is under assault. That's right. He said, under assault with an intensity and an aggressiveness we have not seen in a long time. That from our president, President Biden. Can't believe he really said that. Voting rights have uh, been such a concern for the White House that Vice President Kamala Harris presided over the debate on the Senate floor uh, uh, yesterday evening and announced that the failed 50-50 vote Afterwards, she said the White House is committed to ensuring access to polls. The fight is not over, she told reporters to the Capitol, on the Capitol. A total Democratic political advisor criticized his own party for wasting time on S-1 legislation that won't pass. Uh, Dimitri Milhorn, a key confidant to Democrat fundraiser Reed Hoffman, argued the legislative push was setting the party up for failure and dragging me and my country off a cliff, he told Politico. So there you have it. Progressives are demanding that Senate Democrats get rid of the legislative filibuster so they can pass sweeping election reforms. D.C. statehood, gun control, police reform bills without any GOP support. But Manchin and Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema have doubled down on their opposition to limiting the filibuster, meaning any pathway forward on voting reforms would need GOP support. Good luck with that. Boy, that dodged a bullet there. I hope we can continue uh, to keep uh, the strength and uh, hold on to the filibuster through Kirsten and Cinema and Joe Manchin. President Joe Biden plans to lay out new steps to stem a ringing 
rising national tide of violent crime with a particular focus on gun violence, a.k.a. gun control, as administration officials brace for what they fear could be an especially turbulent summer. The worry over crime is real. It's been uh, created economic hardship, displacement, and anxiety, but there are also tricky politics at play. The spike in crime has become a Republican talking point and has been a frequent topic of conversation on conservative media. White House aides believe that Biden, along with his legislative record on crime as a former senator, is not easy to paint on a soft on the issue. And the president has been clear that he is opposed to defund the police, a movement which he's been effectively used against uh, other Democrats to paint them as anti-law enforcement. So <clears throat> uh, you, I think this kind of sets the stage, doesn't it, for more legislation on gun control. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, show It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. Really terrific. You can check it out at choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's written several books. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, www.cato.org, on the web. Cato.org. Terrific uh, website. I hope you'll check it out. So, Bob, for these last several weeks, uh, we've been talking about the Second Amendment and gun control. I'd like to wrap up that discussion, if we can. And uh, let's just start off with the NRA has sued to overturn Florida's higher age limit for rifles. How will that turn out? Well, my bet is the NRA loses that when the federal federal law 
uh, already says you have to be 21 to buy a handgun, even though you can get a long gun at age 18. So there is precedent for this age discrepancy. And uh, some years ago, a court of appeals upheld uh, the handgun limit against an NRA challenge, and the Supreme Court refused to to intervene. And I think, Im- importantly, even if Florida's law setting the rifle limit at a higher age, 21, even if it were upheld, you know, it, it's just feel-good legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to have no practical effect. Um, the FBI reports that there were 13,000 people murdered uh, in a recent year with a weapon, and of those, 1,700 were killed with knives, 500 with hammers, bats, and clubs, 730 bare hands, only 323 were killed by rifles, and that's rifles of all types, not just the semi-automatics that everybody seems to be concerned about. So this kind of limit is just not going to be very effective. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Bob. That's what's so interesting, those statistics. What about Florida's stand-to-your-ground law that was passed in 2005? Well, that law is still in effect in, 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 in most states, as in, as in Florida. A, a self-defense claimant can't be the initial aggressor. So, you know, if you claim self-defense but you were the initial aggressor, that claim's not going to hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to show, in order to to cite this stand your ground, you have to show a reasonable belief that deadly force uh, was necessary to protect against imminent and felonious force. And that would be like rape or kidnapping. Uh, Or force that could cause you death or great bodily injury. Uh, Before the law was passed, you had to retreat unless it would have increased the danger uh, to you. But now... Uh, prosecutors have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that uh, you didn't fear, um, <clears throat> reasonably fear for your life. And that, of course, it was this infamous Trayvon Martin case. Uh, but in that case, even though it's been misreported, the stand your ground law didn't play any role. The assailant, Zimmerman, um, didn't mount a stand your ground defense. If he had stalked or attacked uh, Trayvon Mark- Martin, then maybe stand your ground would have been an excuse. But Martin initiated the attack, uh, at least Zimmerman claimed he did, and mm-hmm. so it was self-defense, not stand your ground, that would be sufficient. Stand your ground might have applied if Martin had threatened but then didn't attack Zimmerman, but those were not the facts mm. evident in the case. Interesting difference. So, uh, bottom line, what uh, will more gun controls reduce or eliminate random killings like at Particle and well, I think before before we embark on this crusade for more gun controls, <clears throat> it's worthwhile to remember that, that these random multi-victim killings are a fraction of 1% of all murders in the U.S., uh, and they're going to occur even where strict gun regulations are imposed. Um, there was a, exhaustive studies by the National Academy of Sciences and the CDC, uh, neither of which is a tool of the NRA, uh, and the National Academy uh, reviewed hundreds of journal articles and books and government publications evaluating dozens and dozens of gun control measures, and the researchers couldn't identify a single regulation that meaningfully reduced violent crime or suicides or accidents. And CDC, same thing. They reported on ammunition limits and restrictions on purchase and waiting periods and registration, licensing, and the conclusion none of those laws uh, demonstrably reduced uh, gun violence. And, and bear in mind that guns are already the most heavily regulated consumer product in the United States. Hmm. Handguns are the only product that you can't purchase outside your state of residence. Uh, retailers and wholesalers and manufacturers, they all require federal licenses. And all sales have to be through, the, through those uh, licensed dealers have to be pre-approved by government with these background checks. So nationwide, there are thousands of laws regulated who can own a gun, how it can be purchased, and where it can be possessed and used. It's not as if guns are under-regulated. And all this regulation, of course, is leading, it's not leading to, I should say, but in spite of the fact of the regulations, we still have increased gun violence, primarily, well, with a whole different discussion. Maybe we should just forget, <laughs> forget that. But any final thoughts on controlling gun violence? 
Well, I'm, I'm as you might uh, have uh, discerned, I'm skeptical about the efficacy of gun regulations. Yeah. Mostly those regulations are imposed on, on people that aren't, are not part of the problem. Um, responsible gun owners. The, the Supreme Court has ruled that the Constitution secures an individual fundamental right to bear arms. And that means if gun control advocates think that further restrictions are required for public safety, then they have to establish, they have the burden to establish two points. First, the proposed regulations are going to make us safer. Second, you couldn't have done the same thing without truncating the rights of gun owners. And so far, in my view, the regulators haven't met uh, that burden. So we can't simply ignore the Constitution, act as though the Second Amendment didn't exist. It doesn't preclude reasonable gun regulations, but it demands rigor from our lawmakers, and if necessary, from the courts when they craft and review these gun control measures. Core Second Amendment rights are at risk, and we have to be sure that the ends justify uh, the means. So yesterday the president announced that he's very concerned about crime, and he's going to start a new program. He's going to announce a program, I believe today, which I'm quite certain is going to uh, include gun control, Bob, I was just wondering if you could just uh, briefly sum up what your recommendation would be to Congress uh, that uh, could perhaps create some interest on both sides of the aisle for for uh, gun control. Well, two things. First, I endorsed the Manchin-Toomey compromise that was considered twice but defeated because it couldn't get 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, that compromise would have extended uh, background checks to to. Uh, to these uh, gun shows and Internet purchases. But in return, gun rights advocates would have gotten some major benefits, including uh, the ability to purchase handguns across state lines, the ability to transport guns across state lines, and restrictions on on the development of a database by the various gun control advocates. That was a useful compromise. And then most important, I think the legalization of drugs would go a long, long way toward not only helping us with respect to the drug problem, but helping us respect to gun control, particularly in the inner cities where gang-related and drug-related violence is really the cause of our problem. And even as a side benefit, help us with respect to border control with people from Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras fleeing the drug gangs. Legalization should be a no-brainer. But, of course, it's not presently on the table, except we are seeing some strides, of course, with respect to marijuana. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I just encourage you to visit Cato.org. C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Uh, And again, Bob, this has been a great discussion on uh, gun control and the Second Amendment. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. We're going to visit with uh, Professor Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josepha Savaz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape 
by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, you know, usually in our conversations, I tend to be a little bit more optimistic. You perhaps a little bit more pessimistic. So, You've pledged to start the show, uh, your segment of the show, with uh, some good news. So what's the good news, Andy? <laughs> I, I decided that each of our episodes, Bob, will start out with the good news, and I'm, I'm finding that there is almost always some good news available. So for, for today, let me decide that uh, Joe Biden's <clears throat> polling numbers have slipped from a, uh, a 54% favorability to 48% in June. That's a 6% slippage, which I think represents perhaps the American people finally beginning to understand and penetrate the din that is coming out of the Biden White House. So uh, to me, that's that's good news to see the American people responding. I think also yesterday we had the defeat of the For the People Act yep. by the Republicans in the Senate. Uh, they held firm uh, at 50 and uh, that uh, without the Philip without the uh, elimination of the filibuster, uh, the For the People Act, totally misnamed, of course, w was defeated. That would have essentially, Bob, legalized uh, illegal voting. I mean, there's other ways of looking at it, but I think that is something that yeah. that debatably could be said. Uh, beyond that, uh, one other small piece of good news: uh, uh, Eric Adams looks like he'll emerge, probably emerge as the the Democrat uh, uh, nominee for the uh, mayor's slot in New York City. Uh, now, I have some problems historically with Eric Adams, but of, of all the candidates that were uh, that were on the ticket for the Democrats. I think Eric Adams was the one that was the most significant in terms of uh, certainly law and order, a former captain on the New York City City Police Force. So I, I think those stories are, are good news. The slippage of Biden, uh, the defeat of the For the People Act, and the uh, the strong showing of, of Eric Adams in the uh, in mayoral campaign in New York. I might also add that uh, Curtis Sliwa, who I, I've had a long history with uh, going back in New York and Curtis Lewa is going to emerge as the Republican nominee. Very slim chances of him winning the election, but Curtis has has emerged uh, as the as the Republican nominee, which is just I, I feel very very good for this man who's put so much uh, time and effort into New York City. Yeah, no, just extend that a little bit. Is there any possibility that Sliwa could actually win the election? I mean, people have to be just totally fed up with what they're seeing in New York City at this point. Well, Sliwa has a, uh, a very strong name. He's documented for the past, um, I'm going to say, 40 years. It may be more or less, but someplace in that area. Uh, his, his work for New York City, he knows New York better than anyone in, uh, in, the, in the city by, uh, by wide, wide margin. Um, he, he's popular. Uh, he's aggressive. He's intelligent. So is there a chance? Yeah, I think there is a chance that Curtis Sliwa, who is generally seen as, as apolitical, might possibly emerge as the the winner in the the mayoral camp uh, uh, election uh, when it occurs. Uh, not likely, by the way, Bob, but I think there is a significant chance that Curtis Lee could get it done. Okay, so interesting. Well, uh, all that extremely good news, Andy, so thank you so much for that. Well, you know, there is good news, and I think that, <clears throat> especially from my own personal perspective, I've got to uh, make sure that I'm not uh, drifting constantly into the uh, the pessimistic areas. It's certainly easy to find pessimism uh, constantly available in the American 
body politic, but but there's also uh, good news, and so uh, I'm going to make a serious attempt to, for myself and and for anyone who uh, reads my writings or listens on the on the Bob Harden show to let them know that yeah, I I think there's there's good things happening in America, and uh, there's a significant chance that we can emerge from all this as uh, as a strong country. Uh, I'm not optimistic about that, though. I can't say that I am, yeah. but I think there's a significant chance that we can emerge victorious from all of this nonsense. So uh, typically, uh, we focus on uh, not politics, but more on our culture. And Andy, uh, it's so interesting that the uh, Catholic bishops have taken a stand against, uh, uh, for example, politicians who support abortion, like President Joe Biden, for example, uh, being able to take communion. Any thoughts on that? Well, that's a significant move by uh, by parts of the Catholic Church. It's certainly not a universal uh, statement of the Church, but uh, have, many have denied. Many bishops have denied uh, Biden's access to communion, which for uh, for a Catholic is, uh, is is almost tantamount to excommunication. There's nothing more significant than than losing the ability to take communion for a Catholic. Uh, I would also add that I'm a fallen Catholic, Bob. I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer a Catholic. I have no no animosity towards the church, uh, I, but I've had a, a strong admiration for how it has persisted. Uh, when I was teaching at the university level, I would ask my class, what is the most uh, the most successful organization in the history of Western civilization? They would never know the answer. But the answer to me, debatably, of course, is the Roman Catholic Church. It has been alive and well and still has a billion, uh, 200 million members uh, in, in, after 2,000 years. The question became one, why has it retained its success? It's retained its success because it held on to its values. In spite of all opposition, in spite of the public's view, the, the constituency view, the Catholic Church has held on to its, uh, its rigid uh, commitment to uh, against abortion, uh, against divorce, against uh, contraception. Now, at the individual level, these may seem like harsh or abrasive policies, but if we consider them, consider the entire culture, and the, the culture to survive needs a strong family. It needs the reproductive parents. It needs to have these things going on. And the Catholic Church, until very recently under Pope Francis, has never yielded any of their essential values. And I think that is why. And I think we can, we can take a lesson from the Catholic Church. They have survived because they have never yielded their essential values over its 2,000-year history. Yeah, uh, with although uh, the Catholic Church has had its warts and pimples, as we know, there's been problems. But uh, to your point, these broader issues just are very important in terms of preserving our culture. I think uh, that's an important point. Yeah, well, let me build on that. Certainly, every organization is populated by human beings and therefore to be populated by errors and pimples and warts, as you describe them. And the Catholic Church has certainly not, uh, not been immune from that process. Uh, but if we look at the, uh, the, the theologic dogma, let's put it in that category, I think the Church has retained its integrity. Uh, it certainly has had its excesses and abuses, especially when it was aligned with the political process. But, uh, but essentially, the Church has, uh, I think, provided, and I'd like to position it as the moral backbone for Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the significant reasons for the success of Western civilizations, ha civilization has been the Roman Catholic Church, Bob. So interesting. Well, thank you for that. So uh, we've just celebrated Juneteenth. Uh, we had a national holiday that was uh, celebrated, uh, uh, created actually just days before uh, and celebrated on the 18th. Federal employees now <laughs> getting another day off. I think they work about four days a week now. But uh, any, any th thoughts or comments? Well, I understand that day off is going to cost the taxpayers approximately $600 million and. I would say that Juneteenth at its best is, is purposeless. Uh, I think at its worst, it will be a day uh, each year when the focus becomes on white supremacy and uh, white-induced uh, white slavery and all the negatives that we hear uh, taking place right now. So I think, you know, I think if we take the day uh, uh, and, and use it as a discrete moment, there's no problem with that. It celebrates the, the day when the slaves in Texas became aware that they were free two and a half years ago. So, I mean, it has no inherent significance in itself, but, you know, that, that date has is, is been purposeful uh, in, the, in the civil rights movement for, for over 100 years. Uh, on the other hand, the way if we take it into the context of modern America, that date, June 19th, preceding July 4th, I think will be used constantly uh, as a battering ram uh, against the, the white population and white supremacy, as they're doing right now, Bob. Mm, no question. 
Well, uh, <laughs> to me, it just doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, to sell to celebrate the freedom of uh, the 16th Amendment, whatever it might be, it makes a lot of sense. But to celebrate the day that people actually heard about it, uh, about 2,000 miles away, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So let's Yeah, I think... I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Make your comment. You know, I think if they were going to have a significant date, they might have used the, the date of the Emancipation Proclamation, which right. is essentially... Now, the Emancipation Proclamation certainly did not free any of the slaves in the, in the federal territory. The Emancipation Proclamation just freed the slaves in the territory of the Confederacy. Uh, so, you know, the, that, that document in itself was not a, a blanket statement of, of freeing the slaves. Uh, but there are other moments that they could, they could celebrate that, uh, that would be more significant than the incidental fact uh, that it was that day that the, the slaves found out of, of an event that had already transpired two and a half years before that moment. Yeah, well, thank you for those comments, Andy. Let's, let's move on to, uh, I think, science. Perhaps this is nothing new, but it's under assault. Right now we have a thin line between an almost un unrecognizable line between science and science fiction, and I'm speaking specifically about global warming and uh, with, what's regard to uh, this uh, vi vaccine and virus. Any thoughts? Yeah, let me just, um, yes, let's deal with that right now. There's another issue I want to get to, the Chinese defector, but let's, let's talk about science and the differentiation we have to make between science and scientists. A scientist may or may not be committed uh, to the rigors demanded by science. If we look right now at two of the more prominent um, names that are they're emerging as uh, in the areas of science that are, I think, doing a, a yeoman's job in, in trying to reform the public, uh, first of all, we have uh, Pierre Corey. Pierre Corey has long advocated the use of uh, ivermectin as a uh, therapeutic, uh, a prophylactic uh, for, uh, for COVID-19. It has proven its effectiveness time and time again. Uh, and of course, he has been censored multiple times on, on, on social media. But Pierre Corey, the, the intellectual head of the Critical Care Alliance of Physicians, uh, long been an advocate of that. And he's pointed out something that I think is not only interesting, but uh, I'm going to describe it as, as despicable. Uh, Merck is developing a, uh, a comparable product to ivermectin, which in most measurements would not be superior to it. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is Iver ivermectin is immediately available right now, uh, whereas, and Merck holds a generic, uh, con not control, but they are generically producing ivermectin, and yet they have rejected marketing the ivermectin in their pursuit of a patentable product that would make them billions of dollars. Huh. To me, there's, uh, there's an element of, uh, of corruption of science and medicine in that approach, rejecting an existing product because it doesn't, it doesn't produce any profit and moving towards a patentable product that will. Yeah. And I, I think that is a very, very bad sign for American medicine and science, Bob. Well, I'll, I'll just back that up with my suspicion. I don't have proof, but uh, we have uh, these uh, vaccines now that have, uh, as I understand it, that the uh, pharmaceutical company is going to make over $100 billion over the next five years. And uh, there are possibilities to develop therapeutics like, for example, ivermectin and uh, how about uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, that uh, perhaps could have really created uh, the or, or refuted the necessity for a vaccine. In other words, it could have had a major difference in terms of people's health and well-being. And yet uh, they, they put a kibosh on it. It wasn't going to happen. So, again, why was that? Why did that happen? It happened, I think, because of the profit motive of pharmaceuticals. I, I think that's un undoubtedly true. Well, uh, that's too strong a statement. It's it's in in great likely, most great likelihood true. Let, let me just read a comment by uh, by Pierre Corey, uh, Doctor Pierre Corey. He said, "What we discovered and what the studies show is that it has vermectin uh, has phenomenal antiviral activity. It absolutely blocks the replication of the SARS uh, COVID two virus. So you don't get sick. The virus can't infect, can't replicate." and can't kill you if you're on ivermectin. That is a strong statement that he has backed up with, with voluminous uh, documentations from, from studies uh, uh, exploring the impact of ivermectin. So uh, to have it, have it uh, suppressed 
um, is uh, to me uh, a statement of greed, as you put it, Bob, in the pharma pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we can also talk about another scientist that's coming up very strong, a scientist who really was the lead scientist in the Obama administration, uh, Dr. Stephen Kunin. I, I just finished reading his book, uh, essentially on climate change. Uh, it's called Unsettled. Uh, and, and basically, uh, what he's saying, he's not denying that there is some marginal impact of human activity in terms of, of climate change. Uh, but what he what he says is that that's totally unsettled. And even in its most dramatic, provable manifestation, it is not a serious threat to, uh, to civilization and humanity. He points out some specifics, for example. This is, again, Stephen, uh, Stephen Coven. Uh, he says humans have had no detectable impact on hurricanes over the past century. He says Greenland's ice sheet isn't shrinking any more rapidly today than it was 80 years ago. He says the global area burned by wildfires has declined more than 25 percent since 2003, and 2020 was the lowest year on record. Uh, he points these out as, as just individual facts of, of, of hundreds that he could supply, showing that there is nothing happening that is unusual right. in terms of the, the Earth's climate, in terms of drought, hurricanes. Um, forest fires, any of the things that are generally attributed to uh, to climate change, and and that's hence the name of his book, Unsettled. That the uh, the debate which he describes as having been positioned as being settled is, in his estimation and provable estimation, totally unsettled. Bob. So interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. And by the way, last week we talked a little bit about uh, science, and uh, I'm reading Charles Mur uh, Murray's new book. It just came out with regard to uh, knowing the truth about what's really going on. Citing many of the things that you talked about last week, I just want to acknowledge you for uh, bringing up these important topics. And I'm talking about uh, violence as well as uh, IQ among our various races. Yeah, I mean, these, these are things that, that should be part of the public debate. And uh, uh, if they're erroneous, they, they should be uh, publicly debated. And, and if, if not valid, they should be dismissed. Uh, but they can't be dismissed out of hand. We right. can't. Uh, ignore what uh, quality scientists, such as a Charles Murray, uh, such as a, uh, a Pierre Corey or a Stephen Coonan, uh, have, have documented. Uh, and these are not casual thoughts of, of, of eccentrics. These are men that have spent their whole lives deeply committed to science. They have never shown any particular bias uh, towards uh, a gender, race, or any scientific position that was uh, not confirmed by their own assessment. So I, I think if we're going to have science be a, a significant factor in our, in our movement forward, uh, that science must be populated by scientists right. who are willing to enter into the debate and create controversy where it's, where it's needed. And I think uh, that is something that's lacking. A lot of these scientists have been, have been censored and prevented from having their voices be heard. And that's a very dangerous statement for America. Bob. It is. Well, of course, and science is just infected by confirmation bias. People who have an, uh, a notion, and many times it's political, it's not scientific, on how things are, and then just constantly looking for information to confirm their bias about that. So uh, that's part of science right now, and unfortunately it's just really... Uh, dims the line between science and science fiction. Hey, before I let you go, I want to make sure you have a chance to, to uh, discuss uh, the uh, defector from China. A big deal. This is a really big deal. And uh, it, It's going to get bigger and bigger. This seems to be a, a well-documented situation. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the major proof that it's actually happening has been that uh, China that has denied that this uh, uh, Dong Jinghua uh, has, has defected uh, has not uh, paraded him forward for the video cameras. So uh, he has not shown his face. Uh, they have not been able to show his face because it's presumed that he actually has defected. That seems to be to be true. Uh, let me just read a little bit of what has been written about Don. Don provided copies of pathogenic studies to the DIA, which show that the Chinese military was involved in the development of the COVID-19 virus. He also provided copies of Chinese models which predicted the spread and damage that the pandemic would do to the U.S. and the rest of the world. So here we have a man that was deeply involved. He was the vice minister of state security for China, who is, is indicating uh, the Chinese military's involvement with the development and the, the study of the implications of, the, uh, of, a, of a pandemic. He does not make the, ch the, the charge that this was intentionally released, but he does make the, 
suggested charge that once it was released, China immediately identified uh, the benefit of a pandemic in terms of uh, their uh, their ability to penetrate the, the global economic system by weakening the United States primarily. That was something uh, specific that he did bring to the table and apparently can document with, uh, with extensive uh, writings uh, that were exchanged between him and other members of the scientific community in China and the military community. So interesting. What do you make, maybe it's nothing, but uh, I, I raised the question in my mind, I'd like to get your thoughts, that he went to the Defense Intelligence Agency as opposed to the CIA or the FBI. Well, he thinks, he, he thinks both have been compromised, actually. The CIA and the FBI have both been compromised. Uh, so I think that there was a reluctance to uh, make that his major point of contact. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ultimately uh, that comfortable with the DIA even, but uh, because, again, institutional America is, is a suspect across the board, but I think he was very, very suspicious of the CIA, FBI. I think he believes both of them have been significantly penetrated by the CCP and the PLA. So interesting. Andy Joppa, again, Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but a really interesting read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He knows what's going on in the Beltway. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries that he's written since he retired from Barron's. The first is... Uh, Follow the leader, and the, the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. When he retired, he started... Uh, he, well, he, he wrote other books, but uh, afterwards he wrote a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure. Um, well, thank you, Jim. So, uh, yesterday, the voting bill got uh, shot down. I forgot what euphemistic phrase they used to, t to entitle this thing, but nevertheless, it's pretty draconian. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, 
you know, I think the Democrats got what they uh, really set out to obtain, and that's a, uh, a political issue. You know, they're uh, running on the theme that the Republican Party is the party, the anti-African-American party, that the Republican Party is just uh, shot through and through with uh, racist, white supremacists, and uh, that this bill will make it harder for uh, African-Americans to register to vote, you know, uh, you know yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I don't think this message will resonate in the African-American community. Uh, I think the law and order issue will trump, and I don't mean to use Trump uh, to allude to Donald Trump, mm. and, because as I'll remind your listeners, I voted against him. Uh, I think he's a psychopath. Uh, and nonetheless, the, the African-American community is being ill-served by Democrats. Crime is rampant. We have about 58 shooting deaths per day, and most of them are African-Americans killing other African-Americans. And, uh, and uh, the Democrats are shrugging at this. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they, they ignore uh, what's happening in that community. And I think African-American people, like... Uh, like their uh, counterparts in the white community, are going to embrace a law and order uh, platform. Well, I, I agree with you, and quite frankly, uh, uh, based on the history in the last couple of years and what we've seen with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all these things and the burning of cities, and uh, clearly the uh, Republicans have the high road on this issue. And so uh, not, not to say that they can't, uh, won't, won't see a rebuttal from the Democrats. I'm sure we will. And that, of course, that's all going to start with uh, crime, the crime bill. I think Joe Biden's going to be talking about that today in some sort of a speech that he's going to give to about 300 people. But uh, point being is it's going to include a big piece of gun control, so, which, of course, has nothing to do with the problem at all. Yeah, the... Um you know, I think a George Floyd case demonstrated that Americans can agree that they want uh, better policing. You know, they don't want bullies to be their uh, police officers. Uh, you know, they want uh, they don't want racists to be their police officers. They want uh, pe people who are dedicated to enforcing the law impartially to be their police officers. We can all agree on that. I think we can also all agree that uh, regardless of your zip code, uh, you should be able to sit on your front step and not fear uh, that you're going to be um, shot to death you know, by, uh, by uh, some gang of kids. And uh, uh, I think all Americans of all colors should be outraged at what's happening in predominantly African-American communities. And we should, it's an emergency that we rush to the aid of, of the people who are being terrorized. I mean, you know, we saw the, the story uh, a couple weeks ago about a, a two-year-old uh, African-American boy murdered in, the, in his father's pickup truck as, as the family was coming back on a highway from uh, basketball practice by, yeah. by some guy, gangbanger who mistook the vehicle for the uh, vehicle of, uh, you know, one of his gang uh, opponents. So... Uh, the Republicans, I think, have an advantage in speaking and embracing law and order. And, and Biden's speech today is recognition that the Democratic Party has a huge problem in the mid messaging problem in the midterms. And he's trying to, um, you know, an abrupt course correction, uh, you know, uh, to try to salvage uh, hopes that the Democrats will be able to hold on to uh, the House, which yeah. I doubt will be the case. Uh, I have a number of things swimming around in my mind. One is I just wanted to mention that uh, I remember the name of Charles Murray's new book, and I'm actually having him on my show Friday morning, uh, but it's a facing reality, but two truths that really make a difference and people should need to understand. And one is the nature and difference of IQs among races here in the United States, and the second is about the violent, uh, violent crime emitted uh, committed by, by various races here in the United States. And he basically says, look, uh, these facts are undeniable. In other words, he really makes the case that these are, this is scientific evidence and proof. 
And he says that if, if we ignore this, we are, you know, especially when you think about critical race theory and all the things that are being promoted right now uh, as solutions to our problems, he says that we're, we're going to be in a fantasy land. <clears throat> yeah, well, I also think that if, um, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to ignore uh, the inner cities. I mean, the segregation is a reality. And so it's, it's uh, I, I think it's easy for people to assume that, you know, it's really not my problem. It's the black community's problem. Uh, I don't buy that argument. No. I mean, there are, there are more good people in those communities sure. uh, than there are bad actors. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, these are people who would give, the, they're really uh, religious people. They would give the shirts off their back to help a stranger. I've, I've been helped. So I think Americans should rally and help our, our fellow citizens living in these communities uh, eliminate crime and, and, you know, really be able to to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you're exactly and, right, and, and that basically the under, you're underscoring the importance of law and order, the importance of uh, committing to the rule of law, and making sure that people have the protection of their property and their person with regard to, uh, uh, you know, people should feel comfortable. And the way to do that is not by making donations or not by, you know, it's, it's by basically providing basic uh, protect, protection from predators, both internal and external, here in the United States. Yeah, and you know these these uh, the young kids that are uh, killing each other. I mean, I, I mean, th this is human potential. I'm very pro-life, yeah. and it just doesn't extend to opposition to abortion. You know, I'm, I'm, I I see in our African American communities. I mean, there is a uh, in those depressed areas. There is human potential. I mean, because um, you know, and you just can't write write them off. And one of the reasons studies have shown from the '80s uh, that that these shootings continue is that the the young people devalue their own lives. They don't have a sense of uh, worth. Now, how, how how you address that problem is beyond my. Uh, uh, skills uh, behind my education but i'm sure somebody has a solution well and, and i think embrace it. I, yeah i think for, uh, for in large part many of these young people feel alienated and when they join a gang or when they become part of something like that they belong i mean they there is a, a meaning to their lives that they didn't have before they joined so i think that's part of the problem the unfortunate thing is that these gangs instead of for example uh celebrating life uh they become destructive and hateful and that's that's very unfortunate by the way i want to close the loop on uh, the point that you are making, which is basically the Democrats, uh, you know, they don't have an issue to run on. I, they think about climate change. This is not a priority to people. They, they just don't see this as important. Uh, they want to have uh, uh, want to have good wages. They don't don't want to have inflation. So it, it looks to be like the Democrat platform, as you as you described it, doesn't look very robust at all. It looks pretty uh, uh, pretty uh, watered down to me. Yeah, and even with voter ID, I mean, it was the, uh, if you've gotten a new driver's license, the enhanced driver's license that lets you fly, it's a, it can be a real hassle. Uh, that was passed in 2005 as part of an anti-terror program. Uh, Chuck Schumer voted for it. Pelosi didn't vote for it. But but the point the point being that uh, uh, people didn't rebel. They We embrace having some kind of identification as protection and and it's it just it's an an issue that won't fly in the election. So you're right. The Democrats are scrambling for something. They take the black community for granted. Yeah. Uh, it will be interesting to see what Biden says today. Uh, but I think a lot of African Americans are going to vote Republican in the midterms. No question. Jim McTagg, again, I always appreciate your great commentary. Remind our listeners of your two great books, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun and learned a lot. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Dr. Dale. He's got some ideas about uh, how to... Uh, create health care 
in a different way than the single-payer system that, of course, is being promoted by Biden and his administration. Well, Keith Laws, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, he'll join us, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>